Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, and that's 106.5 FM on your radio dial. Now, if you want to find out a little bit more about our station, you can go to forwardradio.org and... Uh, you can click on a button and you can hear us anywhere in the city, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the world because we're live streaming now. So, folks, we're uh, blessed and favored to uh, uh, have two outstanding guests here with us today. We have Ghost of Justice for Louisville and Men on the Move. Say hello to the people, Ghost. Hello, everybody. How you doing? And then we also have Max Mitchell. A noted live streamer and documentarian of the social justice movement here in Louisville. So, welcome, Max. How you doing, then, sir? Thank you for having me. So, uh, Ghost, uh, tell us something about Justice for Louisville uh, and Men on the Move. Uh, what do those organizations do, and how did they come to be? Okay, um, I'll start with uh, Justice for Louisville. I'm here with Max Mitchell, so I'll start with Justice for Louisville. Justice for Louisville, both of these groups started with a collection of uh, individuals out of the movement. Um, and the movement that started with a lot of us coming out in the city of Louisville that uh, were protesting uh, in response to the murder of Breonna Taylor. <clears throat> uh, Justice for Louisville is a group that came together and said, hey, there's a lot of issues plaguing our city and we need to do something about it and, you know, let's get active, let's get involved in our community and we want to see a change so we're not just going to talk about it, but we're going to be about it and we're going to try to come together and start um, going out into the streets and doing what we can and getting involved. So we um, came up with four things that we want to try to target in our city, which is victim advocacy, youth outreach, police brutality, and gun violence. And of those things, whenever issues come up in the city or we learn about them, we try to target those uh, issues in the city, where, whether it be um, rallies, whether it be showing up to stand with families in need, uh, helping them connect them to resources that they may need, uh, as well as, you know, educating ourselves on issues and standing up for policy change and things of that nature. So that's where that group stands. Uh, Men on the Move is another group that started out of the uh, protest as well with me and two other uh, gentlemen. And that just came from a need that we saw a lot of young black men that were out there and we wanted to help them. And we saw a need for mentoring for a lot of them. A lot of them may not have fathers or just men in their lives to help and guide them along the way. So we saw fit to come together and form this group and organization to try to help our young youth out here. And both of these groups are starting up, but we are definitely, though we are young, as far as organizations, we definitely, definitely have a zeal and we're ready to get active and we're willing to learn and do what needs to be done in this city for change. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And now, so that was Justice for Louisville. And, and, and Men on the Move. And Men on, on the Move. So, uh, Max, did you want to comment at all? Yeah, I, um, you know... Men on the Move definitely has a powerful mission statement as a Justice for Louisville. And, like, you know, I'll speak on Justice for Louisville. And like Mel said, you know, those are the four things we stand for. And, um, um, you know, it reminds me, like, when the, 
the main days we were there in the street protesting, chanting and whatnot, fighting for justice for Beyonce Taylor and standing up against police brutality and whatnot. And like like most out there, those chants, they mean something to us. They mean something. They weren't just saying them for no reason, right? And so, you know, a bunch of guys and gals and people, we get together and like we try to continue doing that in an organized fashion as individuals are as well. And thus we formed Justice for Louisville together. And then bada bing, bada boom, here we are. So... Uh, there was a tremendous spirit among the people at uh, Six and Jefferson during that time. I mean, uh, the way I remember it, uh, mm-hmm. you never knew what was going to happen from day to day. I mean, every day was like a week. Every week was like a uh, uh, was like a month. Uh, every month was like a year because you never knew what was going to happen either here in Louisville or anywhere else. Uh, across the country because there was so much going on uh and it's just a really a time of intense feelings and i think that even at the time people were thinking of, of ways of how can we take this energy that's down here at six and jefferson how can we take that energy and maintain it after the high point of six and jefferson has has gone and so people were thinking about that. And so um, it's just interesting that uh, the two of you have sort of figured out a way to try to maintain that and in the best interest of the, the people. Because, uh, uh, I mean, in Louisville, you know, there's uh, there are activists. I mean, here's the thing about Louisville. I, I think Louisville is undersung as an activist community. Louisville has a a long tradition of activism, uh, political uh, and uh, some connection between community activists and political organizer and, act- and activism. So, um, in part that's because the, the black folks in Louisville, uh, for the most part, were never denied the right to vote. And so, um, black folks in Louisville always kind of been political actors uh, uh, in the city. Uh, so here we are uh, now it's uh 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 you know 2022 mm-hmm. february mm-hmm. uh i mean a lot of people think that uh january 6th of 2021 was sort of the 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 starting point of a, of a civil war that mm-hmm. the united states itself is in a civil war uh it, it's hot burning sometimes and cold burning others and that the that uh, that the question really uh, out there is is uh, is the United States going to move forward uh, as a country that's sort of tolerant of all tolerant and welcoming of all all races and um, uh, and creeds or not? Hmm. Uh, there's a certain group of people that want uh, that seem to want the United States to. Uh, more or less be like South Africa under apartheid. They want to, they're afraid of the new world, sort of a, a minority majority country or, or majority minority country, however you want to phrase it, where what I'm trying to say is there are certain people out there who are afraid of a country where the majority of the population is not white. Hmm. You know, they're afraid of that and what that means. Yep. So they want to take the uh, country back to, uh, uh, you know, 1953. Right, because that was it seems like a simple world that everybody can understand. Hmm. 
And uh, that may be true, but uh, 1953 just wasn't great for everybody. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, it just wasn't. Uh, so, uh, and so I don't think most of the people in the country want to go back to 1953. I think it's actually sort of a embittered, uh, frustrated uh, minority of folks that want to go back to 1953. But they're very aggressive, militant, and violent. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, uh, I mean, I think in the United States, I think there are more good people than bad. So to me, the question is, will the good people actually stand up and fight hard enough? Uh, uh, to me, that's the real question. Uh, can they accept the reality of the world that we are in? Right. And actually uh, do what is necessary to make sure the country moves forward and not backwards. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's the question. And to be honest, I'm not sure what the answer is. I'll say, um, coming from us being in the movement, and we started in 2020, and here we are in 2022 at the top of the year, the question, especially with a lot of the things that we've seen, was with police brutality. And to your question, will the good people stand up? The problem has been for so long is will the good officers and those in um, political offices stand up for what's right. Um, a lot of times we as the people, we want right, we want justice, we want things to, you know, move the correct way. But the people that are empowered, they do nothing or they don't want it to be that way because they're lining their pockets with money or trying to set themselves up to stay in position, things of that nature. Um, a lot of people that seen a lot of us that were out there protesting assumed that all of us hate the police. And it wasn't necessarily a hatred of the police. It was a hatred for the things that some of the bad ones do and they continue to do and get away with. Well, we wouldn't have been out there protesting had those officers and all those that were involved in Breonna Taylor's murder been held accountable. If they had been held accountable and came and someone brought them in and said, hey, what y'all did was wrong, you need to be fired, you need to be thrown in jail, whatever those consequences was, none of us would have been out there. There wouldn't have been a need to protest for Michael Brown. There wouldn't have been a need to protest for Trayvon Martin. A lot of these individuals that we know in the headlines that had issues, the protest came from not only for what happened, but because there was no accountability for that came from the leadership of all of these cities. There's no accountability as hell. So then that's what not only creates the protest, but then the outrage where we continue to be in the streets, we continue to cry out, and we continue to fight for change because those people that are in those leadership positions do nothing. Excellent point. That is, uh, if you look at what happened in Minneapolis, essentially the people of Minneapolis had to burn down the police station just to get the police officers charged with a crime. Mm -hmm. If the police station didn't burn down, nobody gets charged with a crime. Right. And so why should that people have to have to burn down the police station just to get some rogue officers charged with a crime? Uh, I mean, once there's a trial, none of us can guarantee the outcome of a trial. Uh, but what you're saying is if the, pe- the police officer in Louisville had been fired uh, and put on trial, there would have been no unrest because people would have been sitting by waiting to see. You know, right. There people say, there's a process in place. Yeah, we protested. Um, we went out there, of course, everyone knows the anniversary date of May 28th is when we went out there and it first kicked off. And from that point, it was every day uh, for about a year. But we didn't, there wasn't a, even the court date and the judge and them going, trying to figure out what the grand, trying to sit, figure out if they were going to be indicted until I think it was like September or something. Was Somewhere, it? There, yes. Somewhere, it was later on in the year. So it was, it took that long to figure out whether or not 
basically what they did was wrong or right. And it shouldn't take that long to figure out if what somebody did was wrong or right. You either know someone did wrong or they didn't. So it took months and months for the people in power again, our Attorney General, Daniel Cameron, and those that worked alongside him to figure out whether or not what they did was right or wrong, and then to get to that point and then to basically say they didn't do nothing wrong or you don't even bring up the main issue while we're out here enraged in the first place. And so as if you look at uh, Minneapolis, so we had all of this on George Floyd, and just in the past couple of weeks, the police in Minneapolis, they go into a, 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 an apartment with a, a, a no-knock warrant uh, the, and has, was the gentleman's name Amir Locke? Yes. And so he's asleep. He has no record. His name is not even on the warrant. He has a gun because, you know, in America, the Constitution, you say you have the right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. It's in That's the, what Constitution. the Constitution. says. <laughs> and so he's in, he's sleeping, and they're, they're busting into the door uh, on a no knock, and, uh, uh, you know, his hand is on the pistol. They shoot him and kill him. And, uh, and that's just so it's as if nothing was learned from George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. That's what upsets people is the people in power. And to think that they can get they can do something like that. Yeah. Breonna Taylor, okay, we know she was shot in her apartment where she lived. Yeah. Amir Locke, the same situation. Yeah. Others, Botham Jean, other people in these similar situations. But it's even, when you really think about the stuff in depth and think about, they can go to these places and these apartments and these homes of people. They're not even on the search warrant. They have nothing to do with the case. Mm-hmm. They kill someone. They take someone's life and those families get a sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them may not even get, let alone the financial um, money that comes from the city as a, you know, restitution or whatever you want to call it. But the families get a sorry. You took someone's loved one from them. You took someone's life. Their life is just gone in an instant because you all made mistakes. You all used poor judgment. You all didn't verify information the correct way. All of those things. And you take someone's life and what they get in return is a sorry. And then the next day, just smile and say, and sorry what happened. I was on my job, just doing my job. It's sickening. It really is. And and it's amazing that, uh, just as a note, that the city of Minneapolis seems not to observe uh, at all what happened down here with Breonna Taylor and the problem with no-knock warrants. And it's, you're still handing them out? I mean, what was so important that you needed a no-knock Uh, uh so what was so important? Uh, but it's uh, that is the, and so, but I will say, I mean, some people will say that here's how you know we've made progress because, you know, five years ago, let's say, just pick a number, uh, even five, Chauvin doesn't get convicted. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the gentleman that... Uh, killed uh, Ahmaud Arbery doesn't get convicted. Even five years ago, they don't get convicted. And so we're supposed to say, well, uh, you know, some progress, but it's uh, it's hard to feel good about a system where, for instance, in, in, in George Floyd, that is, without the police station burning down and with unrest all over the country, 
there's no conviction in in, uh, in Minneapolis or Georgia. Uh, and so uh, even at this time in history, still, and then right after that, you're still going into people's homes with a no-knock warrant and executing them, and their name is not even on the warrant, you're still mm. doing it? That's why it's, it's kind of hard to, to, to even celebrate a victory in a country like that. Because uh, we know it's just going to keep happening in a different way. And so something is just very, very wrong. Uh, and uh, uh, then we're told, too, that you know we're supposed to be, uh, that the police organizations across the country, they're upset and uh, this, that, and the other because people don't look up to them and admire them like they think <laughs> they used to. Uh, well, but those are things they should think about, like you just said with um, Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. So you have another no knock situation. Yeah. Why wouldn't if you've seen what happened in Louisville, if you've seen the protest that happened here, mm -hmm. how long we were out there, if you wouldn't want your people doing the same thing in your city or even taking it further and burning down a police station or doing other things. Why wouldn't you take action on something like that immediately because you don't want the same type of response? And those are the questions that got to be asked or things brought up. It's everyone's seen it. We all seen what happened to Michael Brown. We all seen Breonna Taylor. We all seen it. But yet another city will have the same thing happen. And those mayors, those police chiefs, those city officials, those city council people, they do the nothing. So it's like you y'all didn't learn like you said. You don't learn from it. You don't learn from another city's tragedy. You don't learn from another family's hurt. You continue to do the same thing. Y'all don't do anything. There was a press conference that they did up there for Amir Locke. And they even brought up some of the situations about the no-knock warning. Why would, if, you know, like you said, someone busts in your home in the middle of the night. Why would five to ten people start screaming? Someone's already busting in your home. You don't know who it is. And then you hear all these people screaming. You can't make out what no one's saying. There's not even a protocol for that. But, again, we're not learning. Because the same thing happened with Breonna Taylor. They come to her house, they bust in, everyone's sh shooting willy-nilly all through her house. We all seen the documentary. You know, there's bullet holes from the ceiling to the floor, to the clocks to the cabinet. They just shot everywhere. But again, no one learns from it. No one wants to make change. And God forbid it happens again to another family. But we're not learning from it. There's no change from the top. And that's where we... The people at the bottom have to say, okay, since they're not going to change, we'll run for those seats. We'll run for city council. We'll run for mayor. We'll exactly. run for, if we need to, we'll take our own people and go in and become those police chiefs that make the change. Because, exactly. yes, we have police chiefs that are out there. And, again, you can say, tell us all that you want to, that you won't change and you want for there to be collaboration between the community and the um, police department. But... Part of that has to deal with you taking ownership for what you all did wrong. You have to be able to say, okay, my police did wrong. And not only did they mess up and they did wrong, but hold them accountable. It's not enough for you to come on TV and say, well, yeah, we made a mistake here and we're going to go to training. I shouldn't have to train you not to shoot me. Exactly. I shouldn't have to train you to understand a situation. You should be able to read and tell. You should have the mental wherewithal to be able to decide in the situation what's the best and not the best way to go about something. And what happens is there's no accountability. Like I said, there's just a bunch of sorry and, oh, we'll do a training video or they'll be on administrative leave. But you as well as I know, in any other job, you can't go in and steal from your company, shoot a fellow employee, shoot the wrong person, steal documents, steal money, do any of these type of things and have a job still. But with the police department and with city officials, they can do it all day. 
I think uh, Ghost hit on so many important parts right there. Important points right there. You know, I when he said what happened to Mike Brown, you know, that that was a moment for me that really woke me up. You know, I, I'd been involved in protests before then. But when that happened and I learned, um, you know, there's a chant. The whole system is guilty as hell. Right. And so Darren Wilson got off. And when I learned how. It was even more interesting that to answer a question that you you asked and near the beginning of this uh, interview, you know, what does the fight look like? And I feel like it has to be so diverse. And what Ghost said, we need people running for seats that look like us on Metro Council, on House Representatives in the Senate. This is why, you know, I'm encouraging people to really encourage Charles Booker, really encourage Shemika Parrish Wright, really encourage Tim Finley and, and those who look like us because, you know, it, it reminds me of Luton, the, Newton's third law. And I swear to God, I'm staying on track. I tend to get along with it. But I'm trying to stay on track. Uh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. No, I'm not suggesting we enslave a large group of white people for 400 years. But um, we need to get people in these seats that look like us to stop the nepotism and the cycle of keeping those seats ran by those who are stuck and following a racist mindset and not even not even realizing they are i want to i want to bring a you know emphasize a small point that i was making about the mike brown case kathy elizaday prosecutor handed the jurors an unconstitutional document saying that that was deemed unconstitutional years before kathy elizaday even took her seat she handed those jurors the document basically saying that it was legally okay to shoot a fleeing suspect mike brown's running darren wilson shoots jurors see that oh it's legal yeah of course he's not guilty of course yeah not guilty there it is and boom darren wilson gets off this is found after the case is done kathy's called out on it and you know you don't even have to believe me on this you know youtube the keywords kathy elizadeh a l i z a d e h Rewrite called out. Kathy Elisa Day called out. Rewrite. It's a, it's a video on. It. It's very interesting. That taught me there's a whole that you know the whole system's guilty as hell. We need people on the ground and a judicial level, executive level, financial level, medicinal level, educational level, all acting at the same time as an overhaul. I feel like the diverse the the diverse the diversity of that fight, all acting at once, can really help and lead to change. As long as we're unified. So it's interesting here in Kentucky, that is, when Louisville tries to make some progress, the state legislators try to undo uh, the process. So, so folks who don't know, uh, Kentucky's got about four and a half million people. Uh, uh, for most of my life, it was 90% white. Now it's like 87% white, something like that. And it's still at 8% black. Uh, now, before the Civil War, we had... As, as much as like 24% black statewide. And then after the Civil War, uh, blacks were either uh, you know, left or were runoff uh, from a lot of small towns and places across uh, Kentucky. So so uh, the, the small time rural legislators interpretation of what goes on in Louisville is that quote unquote Louisville was destroyed that's the word they used during Breonna Taylor which of course it wasn't if you come to Louisville folks Louisville is just fine so it hadn't been destroyed uh, because of what went on in Breonna Taylor yes people would would uh, take uh, bags filled with garbage and put them in the can and set them on fire but uh, that's about it what know? was destroyed was their pockets 
and a, <laughs> a few windows were were broken in Louisville. But as far as Louisville being destroyed, far from it. Let I mean, me let me yeah. elaborate on that on yeah. your, on that point. When I say destroyed, what was destroyed was their pockets was not by the vandalism or nothing like that, but the fact that, number one, there was a pandemic going on. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people forget that. They blame it a lot on the protests, but there was a pandemic going on. COVID-19 had just came about. So the pandemic caused basically the city to shut down. But because the city still wanted to do things, there were still events that they probably could have, maybe, possibly, whatever you want to say, could have had. And because of protests, those groups did not want to come. And when the city did open back up and we were still protesting, some of those groups said they didn't want to come back to the city. So, again, you're dealing with their pockets being hurt. And that's what outraged them a lot was because they were inconvenienced financially. So it wasn't, again, the protesting or someone looting a trash can or whatever they want to say, because like you just said, the city's doing just fine. They're doing just fine now. What happened was their pockets were hurting. And, of course, uh, uh, the state of Kentucky and Louisville has sort of uh, got plenty of cash from what I call Biden money, COVID cash and uh, uh, American rescue plan. So the question is, who's going to get it? But uh, uh, so, so the state of Kentucky has got more money than it deserves uh so to speak but uh, you know if you look at the way it's been managed and so uh uh so we'll see i mean uh, uh alabama wants for instance wants to take his bad money and build more prisons so uh, uh so we'll see but uh uh so so here we are uh but and so what they try to do is have bills uh to force more police officers in schools. I'm talking about the state legislature. They, they're so, Louisville is the, is the economic engine of the state of Kentucky. That is, the state of Kentucky is a poor state, 87% white, that lives off Louisville, Lexington, and the federal government. And so it's essentially a welfare state. Uh, but the people in the small towns, rural areas, don't want to recognize it, uh, that that they live off Louisville. So they live off Louisville, and they want to come in and micromanage Louisville whenever Louisville tries to do something progressive. So uh, and that's just fascinating uh, that the small-town and rural legislatures, Slaters, their own areas are just riven. First, it was OxyContin, and then when they crack down on OxyContin, you know, heroin is always there, you know, mm -hmm. as they say. So the small town, you know, uh, this is a reference I like using, which is probably obsolete for you guys, but uh, Aunt B is on dope. So Aunt B is a character from uh, uh, Mayberry, the Andy Griffith show. So, uh, so but, but uh, it sort of was the stereotypical idyllic small town, right? Mm -hmm. But the truth is, Aunt B is on dope. And uh, she's out in the alley with a needle in her arm. And so... Uh, the small towns and rural areas that these legislators are supposed to represent are, are doing horrible. And some of these guys, I mean, uh, Senator Stivers, who's the president of the Senate, he came to Louisville on the, not too long last year, and he, and he wanted to identify it because uh, we have one of the poorest zip codes in the country in West Louisville. And then he's, you know, to identify it, he said, well, we've got a a zip code in Clay County that's like the second or the first most poorest zip code in the country. And nobody asked him, said, Senator Stivers, 
You've been representing that area. How many years? And it's still, I'm talking about in Clay County, where he's from, and it's still one of the poorest zip codes in the country. What have you been doing? Exactly. Nobody asked, what have you been doing? Exactly. I mean, here you are, president of the Senate state of Kentucky, and you're trying to tell Louisville what to do. You know, you're trying to be the moral mind guard of Louisville, and Louisville needs to do this, and Louisville needs to have uh, police in the schools, and uh, Louisville needs to handle its uh, 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 protests this way and that way. Your area is a tragedy. You've done nothing for your area. Uh, Hal Rogers has uh, just told a black lad, he uh, represents uh Eastern Kentucky and the U.S. Congress just told a black la- lady who, who, who's a legislator in Congress to, to kiss his uh, behind, which he apologized for. Hal, uh, your, your people are broke, and you've been representing them for 20 years. So, uh, yeah. folks, we've been here with uh, Ghost and Max Mitchell. Okay, hey. Uh, and uh, this, you've been listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. And, folks, uh, of course, uh, 106.5 FM, WFMP, uh, Forward Radio, and we will be back next week.